Does Jesus Christ matter to our young people? Will they follow him? These are questions that every pastor and Catholic school principal, as well as many parents, ask in one form or another. Pope Francis is also asking these questions about how we raise our young people in the faith and guide them into the beauty and boldness of the Christian life. Our guest today has not only been asking questions like this, she's also been doing quite a lot to make the answer resounding yes. Yes, Jesus matters to young people, and yes, they will follow him. Katie Prejean McGrady has authored two books. The first was Room 24, Adventures of a New Evangelist, and the second is the newly released Follow, Your Lifelong Adventure with Jesus. In March of 2018, Katie was selected by the U.S. Catholic bishops to attend a meeting of young people from all around the world at the Vatican to prepare for the upcoming Synod of Bishops. She travels the country speaking to teens and young adults in parishes, dioceses, and national conferences. But now, it is our good fortune to have her here with us on Church Life Today. Katie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Thank you very much. Katie, in March of this this year, you traveled to the Vatican as one of the young people chosen by the American bishops at the pre-synod meeting called by the Holy Father. I was wondering if you could start off by telling us a little bit about what that was like. Oh, man, where do I start? Um, it was it was remarkable and incredible and, and, and very humbling um, to be there. Uh, I mean, it, it's not every day that you get a phone call from the USCCB saying, hey, you've been chosen as one of the three representatives from the Conference of Bishops to go speak on behalf of young people in the United States of America. Right. Uh, and, and, and I got the phone call on a Friday morning um, in the midst of dealing with a blowout diaper for my daughter, who was four months old at the time, and, and a pile of dishes in the, in the kitchen that I hadn't dealt with. So it was not what I was expecting. Um, and and that was, that's pretty much uh, kind of the, the characterizing theme or, or words of the whole experience. It was not what I expected. Um, the conversations I got to have with people, the the things I learned, the things I didn't even know I didn't know um, <laughs> right. about the state of faith and the world and the state of what young people think about. It was just, it was very eye-opening. It was very humbling. Um, and it was, of course, really cool to, to be in Rome. I hadn't been since 2013, right after Francis had been elected. So it was nice to be back. Indeed. So what while you were there, like what struck you as some of the, the most important themes or topics that were discussed? Because a lot of that, I imagine it happened outside of the public eye. You were talking with other young people and trying to come up with this document that was released. So what were some of the, the most important conversations or things you talked about? Yeah, you know, it was, you said it was out of the public eye and it was. The press were actually not allowed on site where we were except for the first day. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't because it was like a cloak and dagger, you know, behind closed doors. They wanted us to not feel like we were under a microscope, um, but instead to make sure that we were having these authentic conversations. And so one of the things that kind of kept coming up was, A, how grateful all of us were to be brought to the table. Um, it didn't matter where you were from in the world. We were all just very honored by the fact that the Vatican wanted to hear from us which I think is indicative of, of kind of young people in my generation, millennials right now, we feel like we have something to contribute. We feel like we have something to say. Oftentimes it's valuable if you listen closely enough. And so we were all very excited to be there. Uh, a theme that kept coming up as, as kind of a struggle that a lot of young people around the world are facing um, is the search for identity. And the document talks about this a lot. And, and that was probably the first day of conversation was all about how 
so many young people. And, and when I say young people, I should qualify like 16 to 29 is kind of the age range we're talking about here. Right. So that's a huge age gap. You've got high school students and you've got young families in that and college students and, and kind of everybody in between. But it doesn't really matter what age you are. That's those are formative years, um, ending high school, entering college, entering the workforce. It's a time of transition. And so in that in that kind of extended almost 13-year period of constantly transitioning into new phases of life, finding identity, holding on to an authentic identity is a struggle and a challenge. And so the conversations that we had that were most fruitful were, where are we looking for an authentic self, sense of self? How does the church speak truth into those struggles and into those joys? And, and what do we want the bishops to know about what's going on in our lives so that they can bring Jesus into those experiences? Hmm. How do you think the church, and that's a pretty broad thing to say, the church, but maybe, <laughs> church. You know, maybe it's parishes, maybe it's um, through small communities or whatnot. How do you think the church can help young people who are looking for this sense of identity to find it and really root it um, in their faith? So I think step one is listening mm. to, um, to young people. And again, that's why I think so many of us were excited to be there because we felt heard. But so many young people, and, and I'm going to speak to high school students because that's who I normally speak to the right. most. Um, I find that a high school kid does not, not a, not a kid, a high school young person does not want me to just walk in and pontificate or lecture or demand that they do this, that, or the other. But they want to have a conversation. They want a dialogue. They want to they feel like I and paying attention to their struggles and their opinions and their thoughts, even if maybe those thoughts and opinions are misguided or wrong, they still want to be heard. And so listening is step one, spending time listening to them. And then once you've gained their trust, I think the church, having listened, can then speak truth into those situations and say, this is what we teach. This is what we believe. This is why we believe it. This is how our lives are affected by those truths that are unchanging and, and we can confidently hold on to. But until you've gained the trust, you can't speak the truth. Mm. And the two go hand in hand. There's a, an old um, Dr. Seuss quote that I used to have on a sticky note on my desk in my classroom that said, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm-hmm. And I, I know it's cheesy to say that, but I think the church would really benefit from that. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that we show young people who are seeking identity that, hey, we care about who you are. And because we care about who you are, we're going to speak truth about what we believe because that's going to make you who you're meant to be. Mm, really beautifully said. You've spent quite a bit of time in high school classroom. In fact, you were a teacher yeah. in the very classroom where you started your high school education, yes, right? Yes, yeah, um, for five years. Yeah, what did you learn about evangelizing young people in that space, the classroom space, which is a, a place to do that, and also there are other tasks that have to be done there? Right. I mean, you're grading a student and you're trying to connect with them. And so how do you how do you get a young person to feel valued when you're also giving them a number that that gives them a value. Right. Um, and that's that That was tough. I, I can't say that I miss it every day. I don't miss the grading by any means. Um, <laughs> I do miss the constant contact with, with students. I always felt a sense of um, possibility and mm-hmm. excitement walking into a classroom because it's the same group of students all year long. So like you really get to know those and you really get to listen to them like I was talking about. You really get to learn what's going on in their lives. I mean, I've got countless stories of, of young people that shared their struggles and their joys with me over lunchtime because they felt confident enough to come sit in there and, and, and chat, even though, you know, I'd also just given them maybe a C minus on a test. Like they still had that, we still had that relationship. And so I learned that evangelization is most successful. We can share the gospel most effectively when we see people as people first 
and we love people as people first, even in their mess and their struggles, mm-hmm. um, or in their you know their confident faith. And and high school students are the best ones to to give you that opportunity because they really just want to hug and they really just want to <laughs> be loved. And so as a teacher, it was really great to get to spend those those days, spend those five years, um, really building those relationships. I, I was just. Actually, my husband, so I'm, I'm on the road right now, right. Um, and my husband's back home with the baby, and he went to Mass on Sunday with her. So Rose is uh, seven and a half months now. Um, and solo parenting is tough. Solo parenting in Mass with a seven and a half month old that just learned how to crawl is uh, oh, a yeah. remarkable challenge. It's a training in holiness for the parents. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. Purgatory, no time absolutely. anymore because of this. And, and Rose is remarkably um, interested in everything around her. Mm. So I get a text message at about 1130 on Sunday morning. I just finished up the talk that I was giving at this parish I'm at. And, and Tommy said, you wouldn't believe it. Some of our old students were all there and they came and helped me. I was like, you mean they came and like they were trying to grab it, Rose? And he's like, no, no, no. They helped me. Like they found me her bottle in the bag and they like tossed me a burp cloth when she started spitting up. And, you know, somebody like took her for a few minutes after I received communion. And like we don't teach those kids anymore, but we still have a relationship with them. Right. And, and they probably just wanted to hold the baby, but that's okay. Yeah. Like they still they still cared enough because we know them. We knew them as far more than just mm. names on a roster. And that's evangelization, right? Mm. Sharing those relationships and building those relationships. That's a nice that's a nice uh time for payback in the best possible sense. You invested yes. that kind of stuff in them and now they're being able to invest it in your child. Yes, um, yes. There's probably going to be a, an uptick in applications to teach in high schools in the coming year when people think, you know what, I might be able to get some babysitters out of this and yeah, well-trained yeah. people who will help me at mass with my kids. That's really you awesome. You can leverage it, absolutely. That's right. Well, you're, like you mentioned, you're on the on the road right now and you're traveling a lot these days going to parishes and dioceses and different, uh, especially youth gatherings uh, to speak. I'm wondering, since you get to see a lot more of the church in the United States than most people, different mm-hmm. communities, what are some of the best things you're seeing in terms of how people are forming young people in the faith? There's a trend, I think, in American Catholicism. Um, and when I say American, United States of American Catholicism, in comparison to what I saw other people talk about at the precinct, where we're very focused on programs, mm-hmm. um, we're very focused on attendance, we're very focused on what are they doing and what's their output. Um, and the best programs I've found are the ones that kind of put that to the side and just concentrate on how we're forming young people in prayer, how we're forming young people to to talk about their faith and with their peers, like authentically witness to their their the people that they see every day that most speakers never get the opportunity to go into those spaces. We just hold a microphone and, and drop a few bombs and then we leave. And like right. those young people are the ones that get to go and build those relationships with their peers. Um, so so there's there's one parish in Northern California that I was at at the beginning of Lent. Um, in Oakland, and and they do. The, Jim Solto is the youth minister out there, and he's one of the best youth ministers I've ever encountered. And, and Jim talked about how he just constantly invites young people to the table. And so, the the night that I was speaking at their youth night, the young people led the opening prayer experience. A young person gave a testimony before I went up there. A young person wrapped us up and like said a prayer over me at the end and mm. Thanksgiving. It was all young people. I never saw Jim touch the microphone. Wow. Like he gave them permission to kind of own their experience. And so, and when I was talking to him, we went to In-N-Out afterwards, of course, because that's what you do when you're in California. Absolutely. And uh, we're chatting over double doubles animal style. And uh-huh. I was like, so what's your secret? Like, what's the special sauce of your ministry? <laughs> like, I just, I just let the young people own it. And I keep inviting them to the table and say that, this program is not a program. This program is a chance for you to be faithful. 
Hmm. And that struck me, right? This program is not a program. It's a chance for you to be faithful. And then it's like a secret program, right? Like it's right, a reverse right, program. Right. So I think those are that that's that's one specific place that I've been in just the past few months that, that really it's stuck in my brain. Oh, that's really excellent. Just a reminder, you're listening to Church Life Today on Redeemer Radio. We're speaking with Catholic author and speaker Katie Prejean McGrady, talking about the recent pre-synod meeting in Rome for uh, young people, the faith and vocational discernment, and talking about forming young people across the United States in the Catholic Church. So, Katie, with this particular parish that you saw where um, this youth minister is really empowering the young people with whom he works to to own their ministry, to own their experience, to be formed in prayer and formed in leadership. Um, what are what's some of the things that you sense were going on in the background, the way it, the ways in which this youth minister or others are really passing on to young people the essentials of what it means to lead in the faith? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it starts with, um, again, they've, they've built relationships with those young people, so they know what's going on in their lives to the point where they can trust them with, you know, bigger projects. So like they know that, well, that young person has a prayer life and that young person doesn't because they're dealing with this at home. And so they don't expect something from somebody that they know they couldn't deliver. And that's, they know their kids, right? They know what's going on in their lives. I think the other thing too is really effective youth ministers or, or evangelization directors or people that are running faith formation programs that are empowering other people themselves. And, and this might sound counterproductive. So just stay with me for a second. I'm with you. Themselves have a very deeply rooted prayer life. Mm. Um, you can't effectively run ministry unless you yourself are are rooted in the source. Um, and so you can't pass the microphone off to a high school student or, or ask a young person to give a testimony if you yourself are not in tune with the movements of the Spirit in your life and in your program. And so the, the youth ministers that fail, the ones that quit 18 to 24 months in, which is the average lifespan, right? Right. are the ones that have turned their ministry into their personal prayer life as opposed mm-hmm. to, I still have my own life of, of faith with Christ and I have this job. Um, and that's not to say the two aren't supposed to be integrated, but like I remember the days that sucked the most when I was a parish youth minister or a teacher was the days that I wasn't praying myself. It was just using classroom prayer as, as oh yeah, that counted. Right. Um, and right. so those programs are effective because they themselves are being fed and rooted at the source. So they're going on retreats. They're going through trainings. They're reading really good materials and resources. Mm-hmm. They're staying connected with other people in ministry so they don't become isolated. Um, and then their programs and, and their ministry can flourish. Absolutely. So you're, like we mentioned already, traveling around a lot. You've got a lot of things to do, writing, preparing talks, uh, maintaining a social media presence, calling <laughs> back home. Um spending as much time as you can with your daughter and your husband. What are some of your basic practices then as you're engaged in uh, ministry as profession where church mm-hmm. is your workplace? Uh, what are some of your oh, yeah. basic practices <laughs> that cultivate you as um, as an evangelizer? Yeah. Working for the church, you can lose your faith, right? Like that's, <laughs> you, have to be, you have to be very careful. Indeed, um, I, I When I'm home, um, daily mass is a standard. So um, even with the squirrely little girl that wants to climb and smiles at everybody and is quickly becoming entertainment in church for other people, um, daily mass is a standard. So if if I can't make it to daily mass, then I at least read the readings at home and do a spiritual communion and make that a, a, a huge priority because it's 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 staying connected to the source. It's like plugging your phone in, right? Like I would never let my phone battery get below 20%. I'm going to go to daily mass. Like that is critically important to me when I'm home. Um, when I'm on the road, sometimes it's a little more difficult, especially if I don't have a rental car, or like right. you know the speaking schedule, and whatnot. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm really big on Lexio Divina, 
mm-hmm. staying connected to the scriptures and steeping myself in the story of Christ and, and doing um, Lexio Divina with the daily gospel. That usually keeps me pretty rooted on the road. Um, and then I, my absolute favorite way to pray is intentional prayer. Um, so like praying by name for specific people um, and specific intentions. And I carry a little notebook with me that, I mean, I might see somebody on the airplane. This happened when I was flying up to Georgia. The mom got on the plane with three children under the age of five by herself. Oh, and yeah, I, I literally wrote that down in my yeah. notebook. I was like, mom with three kids. Yep. And I thought about it when I was going to bed that night. I pulled my notebook out and I thought about her and I prayed for peace and, and comfort and some stability in her life and her mm. travels. I love doing that because it keeps me rooted to what prayer is, which is us talking to God and us recognizing God as God and I'm not God. Mm-hmm. And so I can petition that God with what's really going on in my life and in the lives of others. Mm, really beautifully said. It, make, it reminds me of Pope Francis, not in his most recent apostolic exhortation, but in mm-hmm. the joy of the gospel towards the end, he's talking about St. Paul as the great evangelizer. And he said, the heart of an evangelizer is always filled with other people, with the mm-hmm. needs mm-hmm. and the concerns of other people. And so, in fact, the most persuasive witness that St. Paul gives, in fact, is when he reveals what's in his heart. And it's always the needs of others. It's always their condition. It's always mm-hmm. uniting them in his heart and his prayer to the source, to our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, um, yeah. So as you were talking, I was reminded of that. Really beautiful. Well, you know, uh, a lot of books out there today in all kinds of different genres are about leading and forming people to be leaders. And here you come and you write a book called Follow. <laughs> so a central question of your, of your new book, Follow uh, Your Lifelong Adventure with Jesus uh, two central questions, I guess, is who is Jesus and how can I get to know him? Like really get to know him, to get mm-hmm. to know him for real. Would you mind giving our listeners a little preview of what they could expect to find or hear from you in follow-up in response to those questions? Yeah, yeah. Um, so those two questions came from a young man who sidelined me after I gave a keynote. And I gave him really crummy answers then, so I wrote a book to him. <laughs> um, and and it took, I mean, that writing this book and, and attempting to answer those questions shook my faith to its core because I thought I knew the answer. Um, and so what, what Follow does is answer that question, who is Jesus? And not in the textbook way, not by just pointing to the stained glass images or saying the things that we're all used to hearing. Oh, he's the son of God. He's the word made flesh dwelling among us, which are all valuable things. I'm not trying to write off right, those definitions. Right, right, right. But, Let's not start but to, over. Right, right. To, to make it personal, right? Mm. To, to, to help the young person understand that Jesus isn't just this concept or this idea. He's somebody that knows you, that loves you, that is with you, that is in it, that, that, that didn't come because he was bored, but became incarnate because he wants to be close to us. Mm. And so to get close to Christ, who came to be close to us, we have to do very intentional things in our lives, the same way that you would get to know a spouse or your friend or, or, or a teacher, um, so so the, the four kind of movements or challenges of the book are prayer, scripture, sacraments, and service. And so challenging young people to pray, build a life of prayer, challenging young people to read scripture in a very intentional, purposeful way, um, helping young people invest more energy and attention into receiving the Eucharist and going to confession, and then giving young people very practical ideas on how to serve uh, their communities, their families, their church parishes, their schools, um, complete strangers. Sounds pretty good. What, that's the nugget. <laughs> that's, yeah. And I've read it. It is a great book, folks, um, with lots of rich stories and anecdotes within those four topics um, to give you a lot of great ideas for ministry, mm-hmm. but also for uh, for young people to kind of enter into following Jesus more personally. Um, what do you think, Katie, gets in the way 
of any of us encountering Jesus today, especially in our modern lifestyles? Mm-hmm. I mean, certainly we could think about this for young people, and you can take it in that direction, or if you want to speak more broadly, like what do you think gets in the way of this encounter? You're talking about the intentionality. So what are the obstructions? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So our world is very noisy. Mm -hmm. Um, I rolled over this morning and the first thing I did was grab my phone, not just to turn off my alarm, but to check, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, text my husband, make Uh sure the baby, like all the city am I in all the things that you have to ask. Right. 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 What's the weather like outside? (laughs) But but we're, we're so attached to these devices that have attempted to connect us, but have also, you know, cut us off from real human interaction. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and that's not what this, conversations about but the world is noisy so sometimes we become very disconnected from prayer or scripture because we're, we're listening to all this other junk that's surrounding us um, i also think too it's very easy to for anybody um, young people myself my mom um, so there's kind of you know the generational gap we're all so focused on i think the external output of our lives what am i doing that makes me externally successful um, that we stop thinking about the interiority of ourselves and, and what's, what's successfully happening in my interior life. Um, and that's, I mean, again, that's a, a massive topic as we're rounding out the end of our conversation. But right. if we're only concerned about the external output and the, the success that we have in the external world and we stop paying attention to um, what's really going to truly form us into who we're meant to be, then our lives are just going to be one constant mess of producing but never receiving if that makes sense it does and really beautifully stated and it's it brings us back to sort of where we began talking about Mm -hmm. uh the pre-synod meeting that you were just at and the synod that the holy father has called on young people the faith and vocational discernment which is for young people the question of identity and the question of Mm -hmm. not just what am i going to do but who am i and who am i called to be so Mm -hmm. that uh that sometimes tension and uh disorientation between what I do and what I receive or who I've been called to be is certainly right in the midst of that. Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. one last thing, if you've got a moment. Um, yeah, of course. The, in the most recent apostolic exhortation from Pope Francis on the call to holiness, he says that, you know, in the end, Jesus clears for us a way to see two faces, the face mm-hmm. of the father and the face of our neighbor. Um, mm-hmm. And, striking me in terms of how you've talked about discipleship and evangelization, especially in your new book, Follow, you've got this in mind, this this um, this relationship between receiving the face of, of the Father in Jesus and finding the face of Jesus in our neighbor as you move mm-hmm. towards service. How have you learned about this in real life, and how are you trying to teach it to others? Ah, um, well, first of all, gaudete et exultate, like, slammed me to the floor. Um, mm-hmm. Pope Francis totally John Cena'd me and was just like, you need to, <laughs> like, you need to change your life. Yeah. The um, mercy you guy with a body on... slam. Got it. Right, right. right. Well, because it was so powerful. And mm. that line about seeing, you know, seeing the Lord in one way, but then also like looking externally and looking to the outside and recognizing what we can do for others. Um, it, it forced me to kind of evaluate, like, are we, are we keeping Jesus to ourselves as a church? Um, and are we teaching our young people to just have a relationship with Jesus for their own personal benefit or because that's what changes the world? Mm. Um, and because that's like, that's, that's what will help fix our culture, which we all know is somewhat broken right now. That that's what will change the tide of evil and violence and, and even just bullying. Like that's, I mean, again, a whole other topic, but like, can you imagine if young people recognized how much Jesus Christ loved them 
and then treated other people the same way that Jesus loves them, then we wouldn't have bullying on Instagram the way we have it, which is, a, you know, a very real challenge and problem. And there's this one line in Gaudete et Exultate that Pope Francis, and I totally geeked out when I read this, in section 136, he says, we need to open the door of our hearts to Jesus who stands and knocks. But sometimes I wonder, though, if perhaps Jesus is already inside us and knocking on the door for us to let him escape from our stale self-centeredness. Oh, what a great one. Just to flip it all around on us. Right, right. I read that and I was like, oh, I'm pretty stale and self-centered, aren't I? (laughs) Like I keep A little examination of conscience there in the middle of reading. Absolutely, absolutely. And I happened to be on Notre Dame's campus when I was reading it. So it's like I immediately went to the grotto and like spent some time in prayer. So it's like (laughs) I need I need to think about my still self-centeredness and am I am I using Jesus as a as a task or as a tool or am I sharing him with the world mm-hmm. and am I teaching young people to do the same well, that's a great place to end with that question for uh, for you but also for all of us before we go Katie where can people find you online if they're looking to find your books or just connect with you yeah so at Katie Prejean P-R-E-J-E-A-N on Twitter and Instagram um, and that's my website as well katieprejean.com sounds good well thank you Katie for sharing your time with us and thanks to all of you for joining us on Church Life Today.